This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. This is Jeremy and Eric with Bucket Talk, powered by Brunt. Today we have Dusty Loftus of Dusty Hide Leather Company. But before we kick that off, Eric, what's been going on? All right, all right. So we just came off a crazy Black Friday, Cyber Monday for all things Brunt. Okay. For those of you that don't know, it's the only time of the year that we ever actually discount our product. Oh. We have a hard time staying in stock as it is, and we did $10 off and a free blacked out beanie with any boot purchase, as well as a limited edition black Marin, which is a very sexy looking boot. And folks are very excited about that. And so it was crazy, crazy five days of madness, messages, customers, calls, website, the whole shebang. So it was wild, it was fun. And I was up in New Hampshire for the Thanksgiving break. So man, in it from the little log cabin up in the middle of the woods. What about you, Jer? Yeah, well, so my limited edition black Marin came in and they're absolutely fire. But besides that, I actually had a few guys from the Brunt crew come up to my house and we got a water problem when it comes to our pastures. So we have two pastures that water kind of comes off the hill and goes through it and kind of muds up the pasture. So we wanted to dry it out a little bit. So us being the people that we are, we ended up renting an excavator, did a little tractor work, grading work, ditches, everything, new fence. And it was just a weekend of absolute mayhem. But my two pastures in question are now dry. So I'm pretty happy about it. We've got to reseed in the spring. But other than that, you know, everybody at the barn seems pretty happy and, and they're diverting water properly. We actually had to trench between two pastures. So we put up a, another fence so that the horses won't hurt themselves in between. So definitely interesting. My son is loving it because he's throwing rocks in, in the ditches now and, and getting all muddy. So we got to deal with that. But other than that, it's, it's definitely working to design. Nice, nice. All right, let's dig in with Dusty. Today, we're here with Dustin Loftus of Dusty Hyde Leather Company. Dustin, how are you? I'm doing great. How are y'all? Good, good. So you do custom leather work, correct? Yeah, yeah. How'd so, you get started? Uh, you, you can go as far back as you want. Tell us exactly well, you know, how you got into it, what you do on a day-to-day. -day. Okay, I'll shoot. Uh, I'd say it'd be going on getting close to 10 years and it now started about 2012. So here coming up January uh, will be 10 years since I kind of started messing around with it. I've had a background in art. I've done art my whole life. I'd always kind of searched for something that I could incorporate art with to make a living. And we all know that's pretty difficult to do. So yeah, not a lot of people can do it. I mean, I tried different things. Like I even looked at tattoo work and stuff and realized that it'd be pretty tough to do an apprenticeship for about two years and not get paid. So that was kind of out of the question at the time. And I rodeoed, that's, you know, a little bit of my background was I was a rodeo cowboy. I rode bulls, had a lot of friends that did rodeo. And so the Western scene was kind of my deal. And a buddy of mine was tooling a belt in the kitchen one day. And I mean, I'd never messed with leather work at all. So I had no idea what he was doing. And he explained to me what he had going on. And I seen he was tracing a pattern onto the leather. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, so if I draw something, you can put it on leather. And he was like, yeah, pretty much. 
And so I paid him to, to make me a belt and he let me draw the pattern for it. And I mean, I had no idea how to draw a Western floral pattern at the time, but I drew something out, kind of Googled some stuff and then, you know, figured out kind of where I wanted to go with it. I knew a uh, few things and I was good at art. So I drew a pattern out, gave it to him and he uh, put it on the belt. When I got it in the mail a few months later, man, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I was just like, this is, I, I don't know, some kind of click when I got that belt. And so for that Christmas, I actually, at the time I told my mom, I wanted a candy leather starter kit and got that and uh, just kind of started messing around with it and had a couple buddies of mine that wanted a belt and stuff. And so made a couple belts for them. And, you know, a lot of the stuff I was doing was a little bit different because I could do artwork really well. So if people wanted things incorporated, like, you know, a brand or a picture. I mean, I think the first belt I did had anchors and skulls and pistols and all kinds of stuff on it. I was able to do that stuff, but I couldn't do the Western floral yet. And just kind of got started messing with that and started getting some more orders coming in and stuff. And, and, you know, really started diving into it and learning how to draw the stuff that I was wanting to do, the Western floral stuff and read books, watched a ton of videos, really, I mean, essentially, I learned how to tool leather off of YouTube. And so it was kind of funny because I was by myself. I've always pretty much done it on my own for the first few years. I didn't have any sort of instruction with it until I took a class one time. It was a weekend long deal. And, but heck, I was already good three, four years into it by that point. So, I mean, really just kind of self-taught. And then uh, I filled up sketchbook after sketchbook, just drawing patterns, trying to figure it out. Because my main goal, I mean, when I started it, I told myself, I was like, I want to have my own style. I want to, you know, I want my stuff to be able to be picked out from everybody else. And and I told myself, you know, I want to be one of the best, if not the best down the road, you know, like, I mean, that's still my goal. You know, it's hard to say like, who's the best because it's art. Right. You know what I mean, I have a best, but yep. I, as long as I'm doing the highest quality work that I can do. And, and if I'm always trying to push myself and stuff and, and you know, just... I mean, it's worked out pretty good. I'm nowhere near the best in my opinion, but I mean, there's always someone out there that's better than you, uh, that you look up to and stuff. But that was my goal from the beginning is I wanted my stuff to be able to be set apart from the crowd. And just, I wanted to be, you know, known for doing really, really good work. So that's something I still work at, but you know, getting there slowly. So for the young entrepreneurs out there, how did you start selling your product in the early days? Did you go to like swap meets? rodeos, um, you know, fairs, or did you, did you do like an Etsy page or something like that? No, I don't even think I've been to a show where I've really sold my stuff. I went to one show maybe two years ago where I brought a set of spur straps and that was it. I've never done shows. I've never really wanted to do a show. I enjoy doing the really custom stuff more so than just building a lot of bulk items that I can go take to a show and sell. So, I mean, if I do do the shows, I feel like it'd be more like a display for, and then take orders or something. But yep. uh, when I first got started, I mean, like I said, it was a lot of friends, you know, family stuff, just kind of building for people that I knew. And, you know, at that point in time, stuff was really cheap, you know, so it wasn't making like a lot of money or anything, but it was nice to get a couple bucks here and there. I did it for a couple of years before I really tried to make money with it. Yep. Uh, and so, I mean, I really, it was all kind of done through social media. I had a couple of friends that were pretty big with social media with a clothing company that they were doing. 
And so when I first got started and I was first kind of like, okay, I really want to try to make some money with this. Me and him kind of partnered up and did a couple giveaways and things like that. And he had a pretty big following. And so when he kind of added my name onto his post and said that we were doing a giveaway and, you know, stuff like that. I gained quite a bit of followers at the time. It grew pretty fast. And from that point, it's just continued to grow. And I've never really had a need to go to a show. I've been pretty happy and content with the, the orders and the work that I've, I've been able to get. And now you're moving more towards the automotive field, right? Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's what I'm trying to push for is to get into custom car interiors and truck interiors and stuff like that. Uh, I just kind of fell into it. I had a customer that is kind of a funny story. People had asked me to do car stuff and and I just, uh, I didn't like the idea of it because there was too many, too much logistics stuff to figure out as far as like getting, whether they ship me a console or I get a console and give it to them. And I didn't want to do it to where it was just a sleeve that slipped on. I told myself if I was going to do it, I was going to make it look like it was like meant to be there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not just something that, you know, you can buy off the internet and like whatever, slip on your console cover type deal. I'd have people ask me and I was just like, oh no, I don't do them. You know, um, I'm, I'm taking orders for it. And this one really good customer of mine, he's like, I got a call for a new, new pickup I got. He's like, I'm going to send it to you. He's like, I want you to just, you know, do whatever you want with it. But He's like, I don't need it. I'm not in a rush for it. I think he just bought a brand new one and, and had it sent to me. And so I was like, all right, well, whenever I get freed up and get caught up, I'll, I'll check it out. So when I started messing with the console and, and figuring out how to do some upholstery stuff with it and decided that it was something I would be able to do, I called my buddy and I was like, hey, I got your console out. I'm ready to you know, start putting together a pattern for it and stuff. And he was like, man, He's like, that truck actually burnt down. He's like, (laughs) his pickup truck had caught on fire and burnt burnt to the ground. He had a whole new pickup truck that he had just gotten. So he was like, well, he's like, you can keep that console and just do whatever you want with it. He's like, I don't need it anymore. So I was like, well, okay, I've already started on it. So I just did. Ended up being just kind of a little project that I was doing on the side and made it pretty fancy. I didn't have a customer in mind for it or anything. I made a couple of videos of it and kind of put the word out there to try to generate some interest in it. And uh, man, it blew up. I, I was really surprised at how much interest I got. And I put it up for auction on eBay. And I think that one ended up selling for somewhere around 1400 bucks. Woo! Nice. So I was like, well, I was like, maybe there is a, you know, a market. <laughs> you're a hundred percent right. I know you're in the business. So like, it's, it's now obvious and apparent to you, but like being a mechanic, when Ford came out with the King ranches and, and they had like the full custom tan saddle interior. I mean, it was a country truck and yeah. then to add something custom to the interior. I mean, man, it would just make it pop. Oh yeah. I mean, you better make sure you like your pickup and you want to keep it around for a while. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I was pretty excited about the interest that I got and, and the end product. I mean, everybody that saw it, like when they'd come into my shop and look at it or something, everybody was just like, holy smokes, like you got to figure out a way to start building these. And so I was like, well, shoot, I don't know. I was like, I still didn't know how I would go about it. Like with, like I said, the, the logistics of shipping consoles back and forth was a lot. And, you know, having to deal like making people go without their consoles weeks at a time, you know, was something I was like, well, people probably wouldn't want to do that. I was like, the other hard part 
is that every console is different. Makes and models and the sizes are different. And chargers now and the consoles, everything. Yeah. And so it was really difficult because I was like, man, if I sit here and I try to nitpick everything and, and paint, make custom quotes for each console individually, like it's going to be a nightmare for me trying to figure all that out every time someone wants to get a different console made. And so I basically had some people just, you know, I talked to a lot of friends of mine and they were like, just come up with a set price for them and, and, you know, charge it flat across the board. And then if they want extra stuff, like, you know, then you go from there and I was like, well, that might work. I'll try that out. And so I just kind of put it out there and I enjoy making higher end stuff. So a lot of people are like, oh, that's too expensive, but I'm looking for the guy to have those, those, you know, really nice King ranches. I've always enjoyed making higher end items. It's basically kind of a specific market that I'm trying to get to. And man, it's, it's done really well. I've been able to make some really cool stuff for some really awesome people. Not to get into like the day-to-day operations of your business if you don't want to share, but would you go down to the junkyard and pull consoles and then have some on hand or have some new inventory on hand? Or is it unbolt your console and send it to me and then I upholster it and send it back to you? Well, right now that's what what it is. is Basically, you know, they can either buy a new console and and ship it to me and I'll redo that and send it to them. That way they don't have to go without one. Right, right. Uh, but that's if they want to spend the extra money to do that. Otherwise, I'm trying to set it up to where, you know, that if, when they ship me their console, from the time I get it to the time I'm done with it, it's just a few weeks. So, you know, it's all within a short time frame. But I've gone down to the junkyard and I've tried to pick apart some consoles and stuff before. Uh, it, the first time I did it was mainly for a project that a uh, customer's console had come in and it was an older console. And when you pull them apart, sometimes it clips and stuff on them. Yeah old ones real brittle and and so i was like trying to scramble and find a piece to to replace the one that had a couple clips get broken on the molar trucks they just they discontinue them and don't make them anymore so you kind of got to get creative with where you find them but when i was doing that i was like well that could be an option but then the you know the local junkyards around here wanted you to buy the entire console and seat and everything set up <laughs> i was like well i'm not doing that i just want the lid but that's one thing i do have uh, plan for the future because like I haven't done any shows and never really wanted to but ever since I got into this it was something that I was like man I would like to take a handful of these to show even still like more of a display like have them for sale but but just to tell people that it's an option because and I mean to me nowadays there's a lot of guys doing leather work and you go to some of these shows and there's 10 different leather booths set up and and it's kind of hard for people to to differentiate that, you know, what's different from this guy's work to this guy's work, you know, but if I brought something like this to a show, I feel like they would definitely be like, Oh, okay. They would catch some eyes a lot more and, and help you stand out a little bit and hopefully do really well. Cause it's fairly new. I mean, people have been getting it done for a while, but to do a really nice quality job on them and really focus on the upholstery work and stuff as well. I feel like that's something that, you know, a lot of people can appreciate and would be a good deal. I actually had a guy when I first kind of came out with it, he was wanting me to get in on his SEMA truck show build that he was doing and things fell through with him. He, he wasn't able to get any other work done. I don't even know if he actually had the truck end up at the SEMA show, but since then I've gotten a couple jobs to do some like show rebuild vehicles, like some classic cars and stuff. Um, that I'm pretty excited about. I'm working on right now doing some seats and the console and stuff for a guy. 
usually we ask this, you know, where do you picture your career going versus where it is now? Are you kind of branching into more like full custom automotive interior or is there a higher level you want to be at? Well, I mean, that's not off the table right now. That's, that's kind of the vision that I'm having. You know, I'd like to build an addition off in my shop to where someone could pull their vehicle in and leave it with me for a couple of weeks. And I, you know, am able to really go to town on the interior. And to me, getting into that crowd and then everything with the, the passion that I have for, you know, fixing up vehicles and stuff. I think it's a really good fit for me. I mean, I'm never going to stop doing the little things that I got started with, you know, the belts and, and, and different items like that. Cause I do enjoy doing those. And I, I definitely want to keep that as part of my business. Even if I just do a couple of them a, a year or something for me, that's, that'd be really cool to, to kind of get to that point where, you know, my shop's big enough. I they can, literally pull their car up, leave it with me, and then you know, come back and get it a couple of weeks later and have it be completely redone. It's crazy that you talk about this because like I've done factory upholstery, like somebody has a seat tear and then you're, you're putting a new cushion cover over it or whatever. Well, so you started off in leather and your hand doing all this leather stuff, but there's a fair amount of stitching too, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so how'd you pick up that when you're doing seats and seat covers? I mean, that's just, there's a lot of stitching involved with that. Yeah. The leather stuff I'm doing right now is more like I have to pull some stitches apart and then resew it and stuff, but I've learned how to do some upholstery style stitching and, you know, the different types of stitches that they do when you're building seats and everything. But the stuff I'm doing now for the consoles, especially unless someone's having me completely reupholster everything and like add different leather and stuff, I don't typically have to pull them completely apart. I have done one where I completely replaced the center piece of it with a piece of tooled leather. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really, really slick. And I really like that. I'm going to do some more like that. Most of it's just stitching a cover basically on top of what's already there and it, but making it follow the same lines and follow the stitches and everything and be the same color stitching and all that stuff's all kind of part of it. And I've made bags and different things like that that utilize the same types of stitches that upholstery work does. Yep. So I was familiar with that stuff a little bit before. And so when I'm tearing like those seats that I have right now, I have to basically completely tear apart the main seam and, and open it up to where I'm able to stitch the covers onto it that I'm doing. And then I have to restitch that. But, but I know how to do it. Like I said, I learned how to do leather work off of YouTube. And, you know, that was a pretty eye-opening thing that I was like, man, you really can't find out how to do dang near anything. So question we got for you. So we always like to ask, you know, now where you are in your career, what, what would you tell a younger person looking to get into kind of your trade and your craft? I would tell a younger person, you know, to put in the work, uh, a lot more work than you're thinking you're going to have to do. A lot of kids, I feel like get started and, and some of them try to jump the gun a little bit and resort to some techniques that I'm not too fond of, but, you know, put it in the work, study, read a lot of books, really try to figure out what it is you're doing and realize it's going to take a lot of time. You may think you're really good going two years into it or something, but I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm coming up on 10 years and there's guys that have been doing it for 20, 30 years and, you know, they know so much more stuff than I do. And there's, you know, re, don't be afraid to reach out to the people that, that you look up to and whatnot and, you know, try to get as much 
knowledge and information in and, and, you know, just basically don't shortcut it, you know, grind, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and, and just really hustle with it. And one thing I tell every student, cause I, I do teach it. I tell them, you know, fill sketchbooks. Cause I would fill sketchbooks just trying to learn. How. That was one of the main things I would do is just draw a lot, especially if you're trying to develop your own style. I mean, that's really the only way you're going to do it. You know, there's tons of people with lots of learning material and stuff out there. That's definitely helpful, but nothing's going to, you know, Trump work ethic and, and actually putting in the hours and stuff. I feel like that's actually one of the common traits that people in the trades want is, is work ethic and willing to learn and, and everything. Like you're hundred percent right. You said you teach. That's interesting. Do they come to you or do you go uh, to, you put on clinics, seminars? What do you do? Yeah. So it started out, a buddy of mine actually runs a leather crafting school up in Oregon. And he invited me to, to teach a floral design and tooling class one time. And I had never done it before. And so I was like, well, I'll give it a shot and went up there and did it. And it, it worked out really well. So I was like, well, I'm, I'll, I'd like to try to get more involved with this. And so I went back and did a couple more classes with them and then started doing a few private ones on my own, having students either come to my shop or me go you know, to that, where they're at and stay for, you know, a few days or a week and, and, um, just teaching them how to draw like a correct way, like basic stuff, but you know, how to figuring out where they struggled and helping them learn how to draw on tool and then put things together. And then it branched into where I made a bunch of online tutorials and, and guides on, on drawing and tooling and different processes and that did really really well so i you know and i kept going with that and really enjoyed the teaching and i mean a lot of people really kind of advanced quickly after that they kind of took the, all the guesswork out of it all the stuff that i had to go and, and dig for and search for and learn on on my own and and watch videos and stuff it kind of gave people a lot quicker route to it I would do classes for a handful of people they were pretty small groups just private stuff and then i got hooked up with uh nonprofit organization called the Semper Five Fund. There you go. And, yeah. And uh, so they would put on unit reunions for Marine Corps veterans. A lot of guys that served, you know, at the two, early, early 2000s, you know, the initial invasion of Iraq and stuff. It was, it was all those guys that they were mainly focused on. And uh, they would put on these huge reunions. I've done some where there was only 20 guys up to 150. And so they would put these uh, reunions on and I'd go out there and we'd set up a whole little workshop. It was mainly real simple stuff. Like, you know, we'd have pre-cut belts and letter stamps and we'd get stamps with their unit emblem and stuff on them and show them how to do some basic coloring stuff. But, you know, they'd make keychains and, you know, different things like that, dog collars, but mainly it was belts and keychains and coasters, just smaller stuff. And none of it was actually tooling. It was just more or less that you'd have a hand press and a stamp and they would throw all this stuff together and it's pretty funny because you get around all these marines and the first group was always like i'm not doing leather crafting like i came in <laughs> tell my buddies and drink beer and stuff, and stuff. <laughs> so they, they'd force a uh, early group of these guys to come in and and by the time they left they'd be walking out with all this stuff they made and all their buddies would be like where the heck did you get that and they're like dude the leather crafting class like <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. And by the end of the, I mean, those guys would keep us up till like one, two in the morning doing leather work. And so they really enjoyed it. And that's mainly what I'd been doing for the past couple of years, probably three years, 
And then I do a couple of those classes a month all over the, you know, mainly I go to Colorado, Texas, I had some plan to go to Florida and some other stuff, but they, they, they COVID kind of shut all that down. Yeah, so yeah. pretty been pretty sad that, you know, cause those guys really enjoyed it. They all said it really helped them out a bunch and it was something really cool. And they all say it was the hit of the reunion, really. I mean, they'd start getting pretty creative and putting some stuff on those belts and things that, you know, only Marines can really appreciate it, I think. But it was, it was fun watching, you know, how much they enjoyed it. And that's one thing that I really do miss is getting to, you know, give back to those guys, you know, in, in the small way that I can. And hopefully we'll figure out a way to kind of navigate through all the COVID mess and, and get them going again. That sounds like an amazing opportunity to kind of give back. And, and I think that that's huge. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was really so, yeah. you know, usually we, we get into the show, we, we do a deep dive into what you do on a daily basis and it's been very interesting, but what do you do outside of work? Oh shoot, man. That was, a, I had to ask myself that a, a, quite a few times. <laughs> I don't do anything outside of work because I came from a rodeo background and, you know, growing up in Northern California, I was up by Lake Tahoe ski resorts and yep. mountains. And I mean, we'd go fishing camping and hiking all the time. And I mean, I grew up in the middle of a national forest basically. And, you know, I'd drive 20 minutes up the road and I could, be one of the best fishing spots or camping spots or whatever. My buddies and I would always go four wheeling and stuff. And, but I moved out to Oklahoma and, you know, for a while I was just rodeoing and I was gone every weekend and got married, had a kid and rodeo stopped and work began more than anything. And I was just like, man, I don't do anything outside of work until so here recently, you know, I've, I've finally had the opportunity to kind of settle down take weekends and, and start doing stuff. My daughter's getting older and I'm able to, you know, take her out and do some fun things and starting to get her into the stuff that I was doing when I was growing up and everything, you know, going fishing a bunch and camping and, and just getting out and kind of into the outdoors and everything. That's really where I'm at most at peace outside of work. You got her riding yet? Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's had a few experiences with some ponies. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, she, she's, she's been bucked off of a pony. She's, uh, how old is she? She's six. All right. Yeah. yeah. So my, so just to give you a little context, I have horses on my property too. And my daughter's seven, same deal. She's taking lessons now and everything, but yeah, dude, it's, it's fun to watch, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. It's really awesome. The rodeo organization here, they do a little like play day where the kids go and they'll walk around cones and barrels and stuff like that. (laughs) It was pretty fun she did a few of those when we had one of her little ponies before we sold it we would take her out and she loved it they'd call her name she'd get all excited and that was that was cool she's done mutton busting so we still enjoy going to rodeos and, and all that her and some of her friends that she's grown up with decided they wanted to do mutton busting and uh, that was entertaining but yeah we're in the process of finding a, n- a new horse for her right now because we got a girl that she's a high school girl here that does lessons and my daughter gets along with her really well um, because I mean, she listens, she don't listen to me or her mom. She, she, she'll listen to other people more better than us when it comes to learning things like that. So she's going to take some lessons with this one girl and, and, you know, we'll see if she likes it. And <laughs> keeps, but yeah, she does gymnastics. We go to a lot of gymnastics stuff with her and she's doing really good. Really likes that. So that's another thing we do outside of 
outside of the work stuff. All right. My wife and, and our barn manager had a crazy idea and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but my wife's actually a really good skier. And you know, our barn manager is, is a top notch equestrian. Have you ever heard of skijoring? So, it's, <laughs> so mm. the two of them keep toying around the idea. So for all of our listeners, they need to Google it. I, I think it's from like Northern Europe, but essentially you get towed behind a horse on skis. So you have a rider on the horse you have a skier behind it and it's nuts. Me and my buddies just called that like a Saturday afternoon when it was snowing. <laughs> <laughs> but there's like competition. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's wild, man. You can get cruising pretty quick on those horses when you're getting pulled behind them. Yeah. 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 We just got the farm and we haven't been through a full winter, but I'm going to be looking out the window, <laughs> watching my wife be towed around by a horse. Yeah, wait till your daughter's a little older. Yeah, could, could you imagine my son and my daughter just doing that? Yeah, see them cruising by when you're sitting there looking out the window. <laughs> so that's awesome. I mean, it's funny too, because we got, uh, we're dealing in the pony space right now. We actually bought two ponies and we got a couple of trainers at the barn and it was kind of like, hey, let's see if we can, you know, flip them, you know, put some training behind them, turn them mm -hmm. over and, and flip them. So we... We sold one pony, but we still have this other pony, Oscar. And it's funny because we don't have any ponies on the farm except for this one. So we put him out with the, the regular horses and he's just a menace. He's out there, you know, messing around with all the horses. It's hysterical. We, we had to separate ours because we have a mare. She's a six-year-old mare. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that we had one pony named Jeffrey and he was a bigger pony, like a, a small man or woman could ride him pretty easily. So he was pretty big and stout and... I think he got a little bit of a short man syndrome or something because he'd go out there and try and pick up on our mare <laughs> and we had to separate him because she about killed him one day and uh, she got tired of him biting at her heels and stuff. And we put a, a couple panels between them and came down there one morning and that mare was stuck in the panels because she tried to jump over them to get at that point. <laughs> I have the same story. I mean, so we put our pony in with all the geldings and then he broke through the fence just to hang out with the mares. And I was like, geez. And so we fixed the electric fence, put them back. And then he did it again the next day. And so I had to build like a wooden fence to keep them separated from all of our mares. Yeah. They're a mess, man. Ponies are, they got some attitudes on them. <laughs> They're trying to train them right now. And I don't know, they've been bucked off a few times and yeah, and it's just got some spunk to them. Yeah, we sent our pony to a kid, and he rode her for two separate times. He rode her for 30 days and came back, and he was like, oh, man, he's going to be great. And then my daughter gets on him, and he realized my daughter's a lot smaller and not as, you know, authoritative as he, he was. And he just decided he was going to go do his own thing whenever she was on him. And uh, so we're like, well, that's not going to work because he was, he, like I said, he was a pretty stout pony. And uh, so we sent him to another kid for another three days and he come back he's like yeah i wouldn't let her ride him <laughs> like oh he's like he's a great dude like for someone my size or you know handy but he's like your daughter you know until she's older and bigger and can control him you know i don't i don't think he'd be good for her so we sold him got another one a small one and uh he was real great at first and then one day my daughter was just out walking around and he decided just to take off and he ended up bucking her off and it was a mess. And so he was gone. <laughs> she all right, obviously. Yeah. Uh, she was a little banged up for a minute, but she was good. 
Hey, they, um, they bounce. Oh yeah, yeah, right off of a dirt clod. That did. Yeah. But she she was good, and so now, but it's been kind of a slow process getting her back into it. She's uh, been a little timid after that, so we don't want to, you know, push her scare until we got, you know, something that we're confident. We need something that one of the adults can ride when she's not feeling riding her, her horse for a couple of weeks, you know, that way they stay kind of tuned up and, and don't give her any trouble. But Awesome. 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 So, so the last thing we always like to do is obviously we'll, you know, we'll tag you and your account and all that. A- anything that we can help plug for you, any websites, anything that's near and dear to your heart that we can help you promote. Well, yeah, I mean, shoot, you know, my website is the dustyhideco.com. I don't have a lot of like in-stock stuff that I ever really put on there. It's more of a place where people can really reach me and like contact me. The consoles and things I'm doing, you can place orders for those there. But I mean, there's there's one, I've spoke with you guys about it before, that a buddy of mine are starting up and it has to do with the the life outside the leather shop, yep. you know, and, and everything that... Uh, you know, else that I do enjoy doing and that, you know, I think others in my area are all, you know, into as well. And that's the the Rowland Ridgeco, the yep. company we started. It's kind of a Western influence brand. You know, we're just, we don't have much going on right now. We're just getting, getting things kind of started and lined out and figuring out what we want to carry and, and whatnot. But I mean, we got some hats and shirts that we made and really it's just about, you know, like I said, that, that Western kind of way of life that we all enjoy and, and what, what comes along with that. Like when you're not riding your horses or working in your shop or working on whatever it is you do, you know, getting out into nature, hunting, fishing, hiking, just enjoying everything that God created. And, you know, that's one thing that we really are passionate about and that we're hoping to spread the word on. We don't have a website up yet, so it's kind of you know, tough to get that. That's in the works, but you know, we do have an Instagram page. It's called, and, and just kind of a cool, fun little, little project that, like I said, right now it's just more fun than anything else. Something that just to kind of, you know, let, let people know that we're not all just about work. So, yep, yep. Yeah. So, no, we'll tag that as well. We'll tag that as well. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, dude, thanks so much for taking the time to share this story with us and, and, either Jeremy or I are definitely going to be in the future sending some projects your way. And we'd love to do one of our consoles or something, something special. So we, we can have it. I'm looking at a new truck, hopefully in the near. Don't you guys have like a little Ranger? Oh yeah. 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 We actually, we we both do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We got a pioneer, Honda pioneer and he's got a, he's got a Ranger on his farm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. But dude, also I want to thank you, you know, being a vet myself, I think that it's huge that you, you worked with veterans and, and, you know, I think that, that's a noble cause and, and keep that up. I, it's really appreciative. Like I said, it's a small little way that I can try to show y'all that I appreciate everything that y'all have done, man. And, you know, we can't ever show it enough, honestly. And I, I really hope that I'm able to get back to that. That was a really rewarding thing to be a part of and just getting to know. I mean, I've made such good friendships with those guys. I still stay in contact with a bunch of them and um, just really cool. I mean, you know, can't thank y'all enough. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks awesome. for being on, bud. Awesome. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. y'all have been great. <laughs>